Well, we're continuing in Matthew chapter 11, and it's important for us to remember that we are in the middle of a discussion, that Jesus has received emissaries from John the Baptist, who is asking him if he is the one that he spoke of, and we know that he is, and he told those emissaries to go back, those disciples of John the Baptist, to tell them that the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and we talked about how John the Baptist saw himself and then how the Lord saw him and how important that is. And then as those disciples of John, those emissaries left, Jesus told us how he saw John the Baptist, that he was the greatest prophet that ever lived, that he was his prophet that was going to speak about his coming and his foreknowledge. And it was so important for us to see that we don't look at ourselves the same way that God looks at us. And that's going to lead us as we jump into verse 16 through 19. But you'll see that as I spend extra time here on these few verses, why we didn't have it as a part of last week. And we're going to look at how God sees different things as we continue now. But let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to read verses 16 through 19. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. How broken we are, Lord. How fallen we are. And yet your grace is poured out on us that much more. We pray that you would lead us this morning, that we would be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So continuing, verses 16 through 19. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. So we see that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet that ever lived. That's how Jesus describes him. And then the Lord begins to describe how the generations, the people around him, we're criticizing John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist wore camel's hair. He ate wild locusts and wild honey. And he was a wild man. And he was out there in the desert. He didn't care what anybody thought. He would call out the Pharisees. He would call out everyone. You need to repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we know that he said that Jesus was coming. So he, he cast off every worldly thing possible to be strict and zealous for this message. And then you have Jesus who comes who is friends with adulteresses. He speaks to Gentiles. He speaks to tax collectors, to Romans, to Jews, to Pharisees, to Sadducees. He's healing everyone. He's going to houses. He's having parties. He's making wine at weddings. The exact opposite of John the Baptist. But the issue here is not those styles of ministry or which way is right. They're both right, and they both have separate callings. Jesus is calling the highest calling of all time, of course. It's on the critics and the criticizers. They are the same people that are criticizing both things and both ways. And we're going to talk about criticism. And specifically, we're going to talk about criticism today within the church, us, in the family. We, as I said last week, Christians eat our own. We criticize our own, we attack our own within our own family, and we criticize each other for different things, and the majority of it is absolutely pointless. It's hot air. Now, I want us to see something here, because it's very important. When we speak about Jesus, we are talking about sinless perfection. He never had a bad thought, 
He never had a bad action. His character was never out of alignment. He was never wrathful. Always under control. Sinless perfection. And yet, what do we see from him? He is constantly, nonstop criticized by every person around him. Disciples, non-disciples. Followers, non-believers. Pharisees, Sadducees. Every side, from every angle, he is constantly being criticized. Nothing is going to change. But let's take it home here for a minute. Because we give non-stop opinions and criticisms. We are constantly looking at each other and finding fault and stacking ourselves up over and over and over again. See, Jesus is calling out the people in that area, but he might as well be calling us out. Because as Christians, it says in James chapter 4, this is how we're supposed to act. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And how do you stack up? Oftentimes we criticize the Lord. We criticize Jesus. We criticize God. We criticize each other. We criticize other Christians. We criticize non-believers. Obviously, we're receiving criticism all the time and in every way. But what is this doing for us? Like, is this making us better? Are we improving? Are we a better family because of this criticism? No. No, in fact, I'll call it out even within this, our own family, here within this building. Oftentimes we roll our eyes or we criticize somebody else's ministry, what, what work they're doing in the worship ministry, the soundboard or the children's ministry. What are you doing? Where are you stacking up in this criticism? Are you able to stand up to that same criticism that is in yourself? Always constantly murmuring and complaining about everyone else and everything that they do. Jesus is healing every single person that comes to him. John the Baptist is teaching to everyone that will hear. And just like in those days, the same thing is true today, we get so focused on what everyone else is saying all the time. But it doesn't really matter. If you're not convicted yet, which you better be, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, to do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. All things without murmuring and complaining, and yet... We are constant hot air factories of non-stop nonsense in our minds and in our lips, just looking out and criticizing everyone else. It is amazing to me how much hot air that we're able to produce. Now, I'm going to use myself as an example just because I'm the closest example that I know. But it, 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 it never ceases to amaze me how I can have one person come up to me and say, this is the best message I've ever heard. And then two minutes later, somebody else comes up and says, oh, well, you know, you messed up this part. You really should have cited this part over here and over there. You know, maybe if you study a little bit more, you can catch that. 
Oh, you need to go full-time. Oh, you need to work. Oh, you've lost some weight. Oh, you look tired. Oh, you look happy. Oh, and then one person come up to me and say, ah, you know, I found my church home. This is amazing. And another person come up to me, oh, you know, my friend's never coming back anymore because you didn't shake their hand. I'm like, I don't shake anybody's hand hardly, unless they force me to. (laughs) Just non-stop criticism over and over and over again. And we see nothing is new. Jesus is experiencing the same thing, and he's perfect. He's literally perfect. So there's two things that we need to look at here. Number one, are you part of the problem? And then number two, are you putting too much stock into what everybody else is saying over th- all the time? Because John the Baptist, remember, he was criticizing himself. And he was doubting the Lord. And he may have been in the lowest low, but Jesus goes and he sends a mess- emissaries. No, 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 tell them what, he see- what you see. And as soon as they're out of earshot, the real opinion matters. And that is, what does God think? What does Jesus think? And he said these great things about him. We put too much stock in the wrong places. We believe the wrong people. We listen to the wrong things. We give the wrong advice. Now, in a little bit, we're going to talk about the difference between true criticism and wisdom and just hot air and talk. But we need to remind ourselves what it says in Romans chapter 2 because we are all sinners, we are all broken, we are all bent. Every single one of us goes astray. None of us is sinless. If I put you in a room and they had the secret numbers of what the lotto was going to be the next Friday, every single one of you, if you could get away with it, is taking it. And there you are, Friday morning, with the winning ticket. Oh, I got it. Because you're all broken, all of you. I'm not blaming you. I'd do it three times if I get away with it. (laughs) Know yourself. Because in Romans 2, it says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? I was allergic. There are people here and I say this not because I have names on my mind, but because I know you're a bunch of filthy sinners like I am, that you come with some kind of pride, like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this worship ministry. I'm doing this soundboard ministry. I'm doing the youth ministry. Oh, I'm in a teaching ministry. I'm in the men's ministry. Oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. So so what? And then you're going to receive criticism from that, and you'll be like, oh, well, they are the ones that are really not doing their job. Now, if they would just serve like I serve, If they would just do what I do, if they would just think like I think, then all this would be fixed. That is nonsense. Nonsense. Number one, your opinion does not matter one bit. Your opinion doesn't matter. Your criticism, if it's just idle talk, is just idle talk. Now, I could tell you from experience constant criticism wears down on you it does it wears on you and you have to be able to tell yourself is this legitimate criticism 
or is this just idle talk? Because I said earlier, there is a difference between wisdom and just talk. For example, the Bible tells us in Romans 9, 8, do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Oftentimes, the criticism that we receive has some element of truth in it. Now, a wise person wants to receive that criticism and be like, oh, what's real and what's not real? And how do we discern that? We're going to talk about that for a little bit. But I want to point something out here. Jesus is in their midst. The Son of God has descended from heaven and is in their midst, and they are criticizing him because he drinks. They have the opportunity to fellowship with the express image of God the Father, to have a face-to-face conversation with God himself, and they want to spend that time criticizing him because he goes and drinks and eats with sinners, of which they are sinners themselves. And so my question is for you. Are you doing the same thing? Some of us need to keep our mouth shut. We need to come to church, and we need to sit down, and we need to receive. If you're coming here to do things or to build things or to check off the box or you just want your wife to be quiet so you come here out of guilt so you can go to brunch afterwards, stop coming here. This is not for you, this place. If you're coming here because you just need to check that box, oh, I go to church, oh, yeah, I go to church, 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 uh, churchy, churchy, churchy things, stop. Just don't come here. We come here because we want to have a personal relationship with the living God. We want to grow in Him, and we need to be quiet and keep our opinions to ourselves because Jesus is in front of them, and they're not going to see it. John the Baptist was in front of them, and they spent that time criticizing his wardrobe and what he ate for lunch. When we receive real wisdom from the people that really matter, that's when we want to receive it. And a wise man loves correction and instruction, but a fool, it's wasted on. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes, but I want to focus on Proverbs 27 that says that open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Why are we so focused on the kisses of people that don't matter And yet the things that really do matter, we ignore. If we're wise, we'll be able to discern those things. And how would we be wise? By walking with him. Now, all of this is going to lead us into our next section here. All of this is going to add up. Because whose opinions matter? What should we be listening for? Who should we be coming here for? It's listed here in verses 20 through 24. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. But you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, 
it would have remained unto this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Oh, now we're hearing an opinion that matters. You see, if God is God, if God is God, that is the only opinion that matters. And if God is God and He has the power to send your soul to an eternal destination, then that is the only opinion that matters. When Jesus says, woe to you, that means judgment and sorrow and sadness. They're criticizing Jesus as if he's just some teacher or some good person, but he is in absolute control of all things, and he is going to bring judgment locally in that time and then yet future. And then he calls out Capernaum, for example. Let's just focus on them. Why does he call out Capernaum and say if the miracles that were done there were done in Sodom, they would have been spared? In chapters 9 and 10, we saw 10 miracles that were listed. We know there was more, but there was 10 listed miracles. Five of them were done in Capernaum. Imagine physical, literal miracles taking place, not one, not two, not three, but five of them. And then Jesus is there teaching, and his disciples are there teaching, and you're still sitting there opening your yap, criticizing, giving your opinion as if it matters. Jesus says, woe to you. Now, let's take it uh, home a little bit more. How many sermons do you have to hear? How many times do you have to go to church? How many worship serves? How many prayers answered? How many until we start focusing on what really matters? Until we start having breakthroughs? If you don't sit here and receive from the Lord and, have, and be s- diligently seeking after Him, then what are you doing here? We might as well be the Mormon temple down the road. Might as well be a Muslim temple. Might as well be a synagogue because it's just religious nonsense. We're just sitting here patting each other on the back. I'll be more blunt if you didn't think I could get more blunt. If you come here and you feel happier and you feel more content and entertained and loved and you leave here and you're not closer to the Lord, then you just wasted your time. If you don't have a personal relationship, with God, just a waste of time. If you come here and you leave sadder and lonelier and more depressed and you feel more attacked and you don't feel better, but you have a deeper relationship with God, then we're successful because his opinion is the only one that matters. We're chasing the wrong things. We're listening to the wrong people. We need to remember that we are to be pleasing Him. Nobody here works for me. And you shouldn't be too worried about what I think at any given moment or what anybody else thinks. You should be worried about one person. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the thing done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's you. You will be in front of him. I won't be there. I am not your advocate. I got my own problems when I go before the Lord. You can't take your Calvary Chapel Low Country t-shirt with you either because it doesn't matter. It's just you and him. All your talk, nothing. Your opinions mean nothing. Just like John thinking about himself in prison. 
John is thinking, is this real? He's having doubts. He's questioning himself. What's a, the opinion that mattered was down the road when Jesus said, this is the greatest prophet who ever lived. All that other stuff is a waste. It's hot air. Is it wisdom or is it a waste? We need to check ourselves. Are we growing closer to him? Are we well-pleasing to him? When you close your eyes for the last time, I cannot go with you. Your spouse cannot go with you. It will be you and God alone as you enter in to that eternity. And if he is God, then that is the only thing that matters. Everything else is secondary to that. Each one of us has to make an account before him. In Romans 14, 12 and 13, it says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. You know, there's no polling in heaven. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if your stock's up, if you're down, if your, po- if your popularity's up or down, if you answered all the critics, if you did everything right, were we all happy? Nobody cares. Only what Christ says matters. How many miracles do we need? Are we like Capernaum here today? Are you like Capernaum here? Just nonstop criticism, nonstop opinions, nonstop placating to how everyone else feels or how you feel? Or are you single-minded, standing before the Lord, kneeling before the Lord, presenting yourself with your mouth shut? Here I am, Lord, send me. How do you feel about me? Who am I to you? Where am I in your eyes? What do you want me to do? Because we need to remind ourselves that it doesn't matter. Every human being that has ever been created, well, as it says in Philippians 2.10, before him bow of those in heaven those of earth and those under the earth at every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father now when i enter into the kingdom and i'm in front of him i know how it's going to be right now i am going to be bawling my eyes out with shame with all of the things that i have done and i will be crawling and i will just be thankful that by his grace I can stand. And everything that anybody ever thought about me or any decision I ever made or all the talk or all the criticism and all that nonsense is going to mean nothing, nothing. Not one bit is going to cross my mind. It's just what are the words that are going to come out of his mouth right now? That is the only thing I'm going to care about. What is he going to say right now? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the grace of the Lord or something else. You see, Jesus is going to show us now even more. You know, verses 16 through 19, he's talking about the opinions of others. In verses 20 through 24, we are talking about his judgment and his opinion. Now let's see why that really matters in verses 25 through 30. And that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, 
and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's two very important concepts that we want to talk about here. The first one is the mystery of the relationship of the Trinity. You see, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they are equal. They are co-equal. They are the same and not the same. They have the same will, but separate entities. I have no idea. Every time I explain it, I'm terrified that I'm going to say some kind of heresy. It is beyond our understanding and beyond our comprehension. But Jesus is saying here that he and the Father, they are equal. In Colossians 2.9, it's explained for us a little better. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is God in the flesh. His opinion matters. He is God. He can bring judgment. He brings grace. And so here in its proper context, this is the second thing we want to talk about. He shares with us his grace, his unmerited favor. He is freely giving salvation. It's free, but it's not cheap. He gives himself. He gives up the ghost so that when we do stand before him, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone. It is his work, not our works. And I may come before him broken and weeping and just full of remorse, but it'll be by his grace and his righteousness that I'll stand. Everything else that we're doing here is a waste of time if we're not focusing on that and what he's doing in each and every one of us. See, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's not just some teacher. He is sinless perfection. He is God revealing himself, but then he is God redeeming us, broken, gossiping, lying, criticizing sinners who are constantly stacking up ourselves with who's right, who's wrong, who's better, who's right, who's a better person, who's not the better person, just like his disciples. When ultimately, we should be single-mindedly thinking and waiting on him drawing closer and closer to him. And that brings just that breath of fresh air, that release. I don't care about your criticism as long as I'm with him and I can be with him because he told Nicodemus that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he pours out that grace on us, that unmerited favor. He gives us salvation for free regardless of who we are. So we may be hacking each other to pieces when really we should be quiet and just sit at his feet and watch him work. So quit that religious nonsense. Quit all those religious traditions and habits. Let's do what pleases him and what changes us and what molds us to be more like him. His opinion is the only one that matters. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. And we pray for forgiveness, Lord. We pray that you would change us and mold us. Help us, Lord, to navigate criticism, to turn it into wisdom, Lord. Help us to hold our tongue, to be wise. And then use us, Lord. We bring nothing to this. We are just broken. We pray that you would heal us, 
and use us for your glory so that others could feel the grace that we feel. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're up here to pray with you and to talk with you. God bless you and have a wonderful day.